Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. Susan Elia McNeil is the New York Times bestselling author of The Maggie Hope Mysteries. In her new thriller, Mother, Daughter, Traitor, Spy, a mother and daughter find courage to go undercover after stumbling upon a Nazi cell in Los Angeles during the early days of World War II. Inspired by the real mother-daughter spy duo who foiled Nazi plots, this is a powerful portrait of family, duty, deception, and what it means to have courage in the face of terror. Now let's join editor Jenny Chen in conversation with author Susan Elia McNeil. Hi, Susan. It's so nice to be able to be sitting across from you and to talk about Mother Daughter Trader Spy. Hi, Jenny. This is really exciting. Um, for those of you out there, this is the first time we're meeting today because of COVID. So this is amazing. It feels almost normal. You and I have been working on this incredible book for about a year now. <laughs> and as we were saying just just uh, previously, Susan almost t- didn't even realize that I was a real person. <laughs> I knew the name. I know her email address. Um, but it's very nice to put a face to the name and everything. So, Susan, I, I'm really excited to be speaking with you about Mother Daughter Trader Spy um, and, you know, bring talking about you and this new project to a whole variety of readers. Um, I remember still the very first day that you pitched this book to me, this book idea, and it's a standalone. You're very first. You've yes. been writing Maggie Hope for so long now, 10 years, um, and this new idea, and I knew that it needed to be a blowout TNT kind of idea in order for you to stay Step away from such an illustrious series. I I still remember the day that you pitched it to me, and I was so excited to get my hands on it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Mother Daughter Trader Spy? Well, Mother Daughter Trader Spy came about because of research I was doing for a Maggie Hope novel, um, the last one, The Hollywood Spy, which took place in Los Angeles, and um, I was fascinated by the idea of. American Nazis who were very much in ascendance in the 30s and early 40s in Los Angeles. And when I was doing my research, I read this amazing book by um, Stephen R. Ross, who was uh, who wrote Hitler in Los Angeles, and it was a Pulitzer Prize-nominated nonfiction book. And the one thing that I just couldn't let go of was that there were two women involved. There were two women who were spies, like real-life women, and they were a mother and a daughter. And they're really only mentioned peripherally in Ross's book, but I just could not stop thinking about them and wondering what their story was and wondering what their experience was like. So that's what made me want to pitch a standalone book. Veronica and Violet have absolutely stolen my heart. They are such strong, courageous, and multidimensional women. I mean, these are these are folks that I can see being my my aunt, um, you know, my friends. They they are so. I just I I can't stop thinking about them because I feel like they're just so real um, and and. 
that you did such service to to the women that you based them off of and, and brought them to life in such a wonderful way. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the real life, the real life um, inspiration for Veronica and Violet, and what what it was about them that drew you to these characters? Sure. Um, well, again, started with this the Ross book, um, and then I started to do research at. Uh, the University of California at um, CSUN Northridge. And it was COVID, so I couldn't go to the library to research it. And I worked very closely with the library staff, and the librarians were so kind to photocopy literally uh, boxes and boxes of files on the Comfort Women. Um, And I they would email them to me, and I would look at them on my computer, and that's how I got to know um, the comforts. That's wonderful. I mean, it's astonishing to me how much vigorous research goes into this book before you drop it in front of me. And it all feels so concise. It all feels so fluid. I feel like I'm I'm living in that time with Veronica and Violet. And all of the information comes to me in such an organic way. I feel like I'm truly there with them back in the 19, um, 1930s, 1940s. Um, but one of the themes that I feel like really stuck out to me with this book was how it's a World War II novel set in America. There are, World War II is such a, is such such a um gosh what's it called congested and almost overwritten um piece of history everyone knows it everyone recognizes it but whenever you think about a popular story about world war ii it's typically set abroad the fact that you're talking about americans and their world and their role in world war ii was really astonishing to me because I'd always thought that we didn't need to worry about it. But now we learn in Mother Daughter Trader Spy that there was something brewing here at home. Tell us a little bit more about that. There really was. Um, there were definitely Nazis and Nazi party people, people affiliated with the Nazis. There were also Nazis from Germany who had infiltrated the U.S. and were spreading propaganda and giving money for weapons and trying to plan all kinds of things. Um, But the thing we have to realize is that the Nazi movement then was seen as a better alternative than communism. And so the FBI and local police were really focused on catching communists, and they really didn't pay that much attention to the the fascists and the the Nazis. So they, they kind of grew and there are a lot of different organizations. I focus on the German-American Bund, but there were so many different ones, like the silver shirts, which were, you know, like a brown shirt, black shirt kind of derivative, and just so many different organizations. And a lot of this might sound like we're talking about history, but how much is this coming full circle in, in present day now is a little terrifying to think about. One of the one of the parts that I found really fascinating from your research is that you went to places that continue to exist today and you yeah. went to see them. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I was lucky enough to be able to go to LA twice after the pandemic. And, um, you know, there are still a lot of places where... Uh, 
you know, the sites that I used in the novel still exist. So um, Leon Lewis, the spy master, um, his law office still exists. And um, there is actually a bunker in the Pacific Palisades that was being built for Hitler. Uh, and the remains still exist. So I, I took a hike out there with a friend, and we took all these pictures, and it was insane, and it was crazy um, to see. I mean, it was really just cement remnants covered in graffiti, but it was chilling. Wild to think about. Yeah. So it must be, it must be a challenge to try and figure out how many pieces of this history that you're trying to pay homage to do you keep the same? What is the story about versus— these heroines, Violet and Veronica, and their own story and how it kind of collides. What kind of, um, you know, where where do Veronica and Violet kind of come to life distinctly for you, separate from the women that they were based off of? Well, there's very little known about the comforts beyond um, what they did, the very factual things and like the minutes and the memos that they typed. Um, so I was able to have a certain freedom to create them as people and to rename them because the, they're not the comforts at this point. They're Veronica and Violet. Um, I wanted to have them come from outside California. So being that I am from Brooklyn, um, I wanted them to come from Brooklyn. Um, I wanted that specifically because I wanted Veronica to have gone to Hunter College, which was one of the very few integrated colleges for women in the U.S. then. Um, I wanted her to have that background. I wanted her to have the background of seeing the Nazi rally in Madison Square Garden in 1938 um, and have that as a piece of her background also. Um, so then when they went to L.A., I could also – I didn't have to be – a native, I could see New York through my eyes, a Brooklyner's eyes, and sort of extrapolate that for Veronica and Violet. So I think at some point they, they're complaining about how people are really slow and, you know, like the sun shines too much and there's a glare. And, you know, so there's, there's I don't know. It, it was fun to do. As a Queens native myself, I know. love those parts too. <laughs> Um, but so again, Veronica and Violet are, are so fascinating to me, even beyond the fact that they have enough courage to to take this kind of action and to actually do something about what's going on around them, especially when they don't necessarily have any, for lack of a better term, skin in the game. Yeah. Um, I love that kind of courage. But I also love that they are, they are mother and daughter. Um, that relationship is so gorgeous the way that it, it kind of ebbs and flows, you know, at times that they are best friends, they're all each other have, and at other times they can't wait to get away from, the, you know, that they don't understand each other. Tell us a little bit more about writing that, given that you're a, you're a mother and a daughter. Yes. Um, so I, I really liked the fact that they were both on the precipice of a new life. So Veronica has just graduated from college, and her, her original plan is to be a journalist like Martha Gellhorn and go off and cover the wars and do all sorts of insane, glamorous things. And her mother is about to be an empty nester, and she's also going through menopause. So they're both at these very— um, defining places for themselves where like life is really going to take a change and then well life took even more of a change than they expected so yeah they and they started over 
one of the things I thought was really great is that they have each other. So being a spy is lonely and it's difficult. It's dangerous. Uh, spies that were made um, literally would get murdered by these Nazi groups. Um, but they did have each other. And I think that helped them create a new relationship where they were both adults together and not just a mother child, but like two women together. I love that. I love the way that you put that so much. And there is this crystallizing moment when that happens. Um, but to talk a little bit more about this being your very first standalone, was the writing process different at all versus when you write Maggie Hope? Oh, absolutely. You know, of course I go with history when I write Maggie Hope, but this one, I they were the real people. And I felt such a responsibility to tell their story and stick as close to the facts as I could. And the thing is, the facts themselves read like a thriller novel. So I remember coming in for a meeting and we were talking about this and, you know, I was asked like, oh, is it historical fiction? I was like, it's a historical thriller. It's definitely a thriller with all of these crazy, like close calls and the threat of almost being murdered and airplane factories being sabotaged and Hitler's bunker being built. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild and it all actually happened. Right. I, I'm thinking about the scene when Veronica has to basically look in a mirror um, just to, you know, to look behind her and make sure that she's not being followed off the bus. Um, that part was so suspenseful. I was just sitting on the edge of my seat. Tell me what I'm going to see in this mirror. Is someone following her or not? What is going right. to happen? That danger is palpable, that that suspense and tension. Um so I love that that you've described this as a thriller. I will say that the the women in their relationship and the the arc that they go through um, during the novel is what I responded to most. But at each point, I could not stop turning the pages. So I think that I'd love to hear from you, and I think readers would too, about what they can expect from Mother Daughter Trader Spy versus Maggie Hope. How is it similar? How is it different? Well, that's a good question. Well, it is a standalone. Um, it definitely doesn't take place over there. It's definitely an American home front novel. Um, so we get a really inside view of what's happening on the West Coast. And um, like Maggie, it has a lot of relationships. There's a little bit of a romance. There are definitely, you know, work friendships, work allies, work adversaries. Um, there are the bad guys, but who aren't necessarily all bad all the time. Um, and so it's a break from Maggie in that it's not that hyper glamorous like, cameos of Winston Churchill and Princess Elizabeth and all of the famous people of World War II, it's much more of a down-to-earth story about real women, real sort of middle-class, lower-middle-class women who do not run into celebrities, who do not go out to dinner at fancy clubs, who do not dress in ball gowns, um, but who were also, like Maggie, incredibly courageous and made incredible sacrifices. The strong women that you write about, I find, is just such a powerful theme running across everything you write about. Um, and 
I, I think I think it comes through full force here with Veronica and Violet. Are there any books that you've read beyond beyond the one that you've already mentioned that have helped you in your research or that you kind of find this book similar to? Huh. Um, I think this book is like a cousin to Shining Through. Mm. Um, that uh, do people still people know that novel, right? Okay. Um, who again? You had a working class woman from Queens who ended up through crazy circumstances becoming a spy and then going to Germany. So I think there's sort of a, a cousinship there with that book. Uh, Susan Isaacs, Shining Through. Um, I will say that some of the my favorite books that I read for research had more to do with L.A. in the 30s and 40s and what real life was like. And, you know, I have them, Veronica and Violet, living in Santa Monica, and it was much more low-key um, working class, middle class, um, quiet place than it is now. And I just loved getting to know California like that and seeing what that was like and trying to like see everything through their eyes. It was a very different Los Angeles than we know now. I love that you wrote it through a visitor's or um, a, a visitor's point of view because it is so different to what we can recognize as California today. And, and I think that every reader is going to come to it being able to see that California through a fresh lens. Yeah. I actually, uh, during one of my trips, I went out with uh, Naomi Hirahara and Kim Fay, who are both historical novelists. And they were actually both so relieved when I told them that my heroines were going to be from the East Coast because they were just like, it's like a foreign country. You could never understand it. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know that. It's just like, it's, it's almost harder than like when I go to London and try to describe what it is because California for me, is 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 like a foreign country. So it was funny we had that uh, we had that discussion. <laughs> they were very relieved. California can be that way in a in a way that I feel like New York sometimes is too. Yes. Each borough has its own kind of personality. Um, North, South, and you know, Middle California seems to seems to abide by the same rules. Absolutely, and. So you chose Santa Monica because mm -hmm. of the historical sites that are around there and based on what you knew of the comforts. Well, I liked the fact that it was a beach town. I liked the fact that there were a lot of sort of summer cottages, like rich people from Pasadena would sometimes have cottages there, and then they became more year-round cottages for people who were living and working in Santa Monica. And I thought that would be a good way for them to have incentive to move, to sort of be able to um, go to the, the their uncle's um, cottage in Santa Monica. And it just, it felt within the realm of realism. And it also, it gave a beautiful beach setting. So, <laughs> 1,000%. I found it so eerie that all of these really devastating, awful things were happening with the sunshine in the background. Yes. You could never tell. I mean, the mood there just doesn't strike you as being ominous in any way. And yet, under cover of this beauty, all of this stuff is just happening and you wouldn't even know it. Absolutely. Um, doing the research, it reminded me a lot about September 11th and what a beautiful, beautiful day that was. And then what a day of destruction it was. And 
you know, we, we talk a lot about the weather, like what we're learning about writing and pathetic fallacy and how the weather reflects certain things. But I think for me and for California, the weather just reflected how little attention was being given to what was going on. Like everybody was just going about their business, like very happy. The war's over there. It's not a big deal here as long as we stay out of the war. So um, that's to me like was represented by all the blue skies and sunshine. 1,000%. And I'll say too that the insidiousness of that um, cover-up can can be seen in a variety of different ways in your book that these that the the way that you described all of these people who we can recognize as our neighbors people we rub elbows with all the time that they just have these histories behind them that they have these beliefs that you could never imagine never make assumptions, right, is definitely something that I've, I've, if not, if I didn't already know, is something that I'm taking away from this novel. Well, you know, that's something I drew on from real life, and it's unfortunate, but a lot of people that I know, especially people that I grew up with, um, are supporters of fascism, and I've had to take a step back in my own friendships with them and they are still lovely, wonderful, kind, nice people, as long as you are their kind of person. Um, and I wanted to show that because it, it's very painful to have people not in your life anymore and to step away from people when they've always been good to you. But when you look at the big picture, there's a lot more at stake. And I wanted I wanted to be able to show that complexity We won't get into it too much, but I find the timing of this book to be... (laughs) I just rolled my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) To be really prescient. How... uh, Is it... Is it jarring to you at all? Did that play a role in you wanting to write Mother Daughter Trader Spy at this particular moment in time as you were writing it and experiencing some of the things that were happening in in our current America? Did that... Did that influence your writing at all? I tried to stick so closely to the real story and the story of the comforts and not editorialize about what's going on today. And so if readers see things that are going on today in the story, it's because they're sort of extrapolating back. Um, But there are so many parallels, and it was frightening to research. It was frightening to learn about. It was also frightening to realize how much had been forgotten and that we don't learn about any of this in school, that there were fascists and um, Nazis in the United States and they were actually making political gains before the attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, If the U.S. hadn't entered the war at that point, if they had had more time to grow and strengthen, I just don't know. So... we, we have a long history of this in our country, and I think it's good to look at it. I think it's healthy to look at it. And I think by ignoring it, we, um, we run the risk of making some mistakes now. Naturally, I, I agree. And as I had said before, you know, that World War II narratives are, are pretty frequently told. But I feel that the further we get away from World War II um, in terms of time and the closer we get to the centennial of World War II, the yeah. more I feel like we need to be talking about it more. Was any of that urgency 
you know, top of mind for you as you wrote this book? Why Mother Daughter Trader Spy now? Well, I mean, we have certain people like uh, Talia Lavin who went undercover online with uh, white supremacist groups. Um, so things like Mother Daughter Trader Spy are happening in, you know, today's sort of digital world, which is really interesting to me. Um, you know, I just I I read the the Ross book and it 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 just touched such a chord in me um, because I kept thinking, you know, as sort of politics were changing around 2016, like how did we get here? And there's this enormous historic background, and even I, as a historic fiction writer of World War II and an American, I had no idea. I had no idea. And so all of this was new to me, too. And I found it fascinating. And I, I found it – I found the idea of two women joining in to fight against fascism so um, really helpful and hopeful. Uh, and their story really meant a lot to me. So I, I wanted to sort of bring that to life. One thousand percent. Naturally, I agree. <laughs> um Thank you so much for for having written this book. I I can't wait for readers to get their hands on it. I think that they're going to be really surprised by the story that unfolds, the, the what they are going to see of themselves, of themselves, of their relationships with the people around them, um, and of our current world. I feel like there were just so many insights that were really fresh and exciting, and a little bit hard to accept. Um, all of which round out the experience of reading this this amazing book um you know that i think readers might be interested in knowing what's next on the horizon for you maggie hopes maggie hopes coming back right absolutely maggie hope is coming back in book 11 and uh i don't even have a working title yet but the the premise is that she comes back to work with Coco Chanel, the clothing designer, who was also a Nazi spy. And that is that is verified. That is real life. And um, Chanel did this mission in Spain in 1943. And Maggie Hope is involved. And, you know, hijinks ensue. So she's going to be busy in this book. And it's going to be in Paris, Madrid, London. And uh, we'll see a lot more of Maggie and her friends. And... Um, learn a lot more about untold stories in World War II. I can't wait. I know. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> I cannot wait for this. I feel like each time you pitch me an idea, I'm like, yes, can I read that right now? Do you have 300 pages on it? <laughs> I, 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 I wish. I wish I could write faster, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> the, I Look, the speed at which you can roll these things out, given the amount of historical research you need to do, is just astonishing. So I'm going to let you work your magic. Thank you. <laughs> and, and just be patient. Thank you. Um, well, in the meantime, are you reading anything for fun? Has anything inspired you otherwise? Well, you know, I'm reading a lot about Kim Philby, mm. um, who was one of the Cambridge spies. Um, and during World War II, he was... Um, he worked for MI5, and he was doing um, – he was actually really involved with things in Spain, in Madrid, Spain. So that was an aspect of my research for Maggie Hope that 
I didn't foresee becoming so involved with. But um, he's a fascinating character, so charismatic and so charming and so cold and so um, perfect as a double agent. So I've been really, really obsessed with his story and how it might tie into Maggie's story with Coco Chanel in Spain. I mean, the thread that I'm getting here is that people are never who they seem, right? Never. And that's very exciting um, to learn about, to read about, to write about. Um, that's great. Well, I feel like we've kind of given readers a good glimpse at what mother-daughter trader spy is, what is to come for them in their reading experience. The book is out in just a few weeks on 920. So I think I think we're ready for that. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Your editing has been amazing. So I could not have done this without you. And in COVID too. I mean, my goodness. Let me tell you, it was it was such a pleasure, such a joy to work with you because you know exactly what you're writing about. There are so many times when I ask questions and I'm like, I think you know what you're I, I think you know the answer to this, but I just need it on the page or No, but your questions were so insightful. I'm like, glad. Really. <laughs> Mostly I just I'm nosy and I just want to know more. <laughs> That's good. But I I loved it. I can't wait for this next Maggie Hope. Um can't wait to celebrate more on Mother Daughter Trader Spy with you. I can't wait for readers to get it. Yay. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Aaron Leaf. And until next time, this has been Books Connect Us.